0: Amen. Where do we put our trust? That's that's the question this morning. Where do we put our trust? Or to put it another way, where do we run to when we're in times of distress? When we're stressed out, when we don't know what to do, where do we run? Where do we put our trust? I want to submit to you that there is no greater gift than trusting in God. On this fourth Sunday of Advent, we're looking at this best of gifts that God has promised us. Emmanuel, God with us. The love that God has for us in being with us. So I wanna tell the Christmas story again. It might not be how you're used to hearing it because this part of the story starts way back in the days of Isaiah when Isaiah was first given this incredible vision, this prophecy from God. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. It's a vision, in my opinion, of breathtaking beauty. A sign is given. But in its original context, it was given to the king of Judah around 735 BC, quite a while ago. And the king's name was Ahaz. So it starts, it says again the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Let's stop right there. What an incredible verse that is right there. Sometimes we we skip over these verses a little quickly. So it says again the Lord spoke to Ahaz. What a what a breathtaking verse. The Lord God of the universe has spoken to the king. That's that's good news right there, that God is speaking to the king. And apparently, this isn't the first time that God has spoken to Ahaz, because it says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. I like that. What a privilege that God would speak to you. What a privilege to have God guide you. What a privilege to have God with you, giving you direction. Amen? That's what we all desire, right? That God would speak. So many of you say, I wish God would speak to me. I agree. I wish God would speak more often. Here we have God speaking to the king. And you would think that Ahaz, king of Judah, would trust God when God spoke. But the scripture says otherwise. In fact, we, we read of Ahaz in both 2 Kings and Second Chronicles about his reign. And, and I was struck by this verse in 2 Chronicles. It says this. In the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. This same king, Ahaz. In the time of his distress, he became more faithless. Where do you put your trust? In the days of your distress, do you become more or less faithful? But back to the story and the context of our Christmas prophecy. Ahaz was young when he took the throne. He was 20 years old when he became king of Judah. And he reigned 16 years as king. And he reigned when there was a great time of uncertainty in the world. So I want you to have that context. Assyria to the north and east was flexing their muscles and and conquering all the world around them. Chaos seemed to reign every night when you get home from a hard day's work and you turn on Jerusalem News Network, you'd hear of wars and rumors of wars. There were all the pundits talking impeachment trials. And the top story of the day was who was going to attack Judah first? This was what everyone was wondering. They knew war was coming, but they didn't know who was gonna attack them first. Would it be Israel and Aram or Assyria? So let me give you a little bit of context of the nation of Judah and Israel and Aram and Assyria. So current day Israel, you know where Israel is, but at the time, uh, the nation was divided into two pieces, Judah in the south, Israel in the north. And that happened after, you remember, King Saul, then King David, and then King Solomon. And after King Solomon, the nation of Israel divided. And the top 10 uh, 10 tribes were in the north, two tribes were in the south. It was not what God wanted, but that's the way it was, a divided nation. So you had Judah in the south, Israel in the north, and then you had up there the nation of Aram, which is present-day Syria, and then to the east, You had Assyria, the Assyrian empire coming. So you got the context? Judah, Israel, Aram, and Assyria. And so here was the problem is that everyone was looking at war. And it seemed like Ahaz's foreign policy was to side with whoever would protect him the most. That was his foreign policy. He clung to the gods of the nation's Around him for fear of offending any of those gods or any of the other nations. He sacrificed his son in the fire and made sacrifices on every high place and hill in the land, despite the fact that he was in Jerusalem and he was the king of Judah and he was called to only sacrifice in the temple of the Lord. You got it? That's when it happened. War. War broke out. King Rezin of Aram and King Pekah of Israel attacked Jerusalem. Now we're not real sure why, but probably because of fear. And they were slaughtering Judah. But this fear that Israel and Aram had, too, they were they were trying to hedge their bets. They probably wanted Ahaz to surrender. So that then the three nations together could defend themselves from Assyria. He wanted all of them, they wanted to come together and defend themselves from tiglath the III, the king of Assyria. And Israel and Aram, they were indeed slaughtering Judah and the army. So do you know what Ahaz did, the king? He said to himself, wow, the gods of King Aram are strong. Maybe they will help me. So he began sacrificing to the idol gods of Aram. But even though Judah was getting slaughtered by Aram and Israel, Ahaz didn't join with them because he placed his money on the Assyrian Empire. He was more afraid of Assyria. And so Ahaz began to send huge amounts of money and gold and silver and begging King the III to come to his aid. Ahaz made covenant with Assyria. Let me say it again. Ahaz made covenant with Assyria. Let me remind you of an important truth and responsibility of the kings of Israel and Judah. Who were they supposed to make covenant with? God. Who were they to put their trust in? God. So, King Ahaz put his trust in his mortal enemy instead of God. So he went up to Damascus to meet with the king, and the And while he was in Damascus, they had this really cool altar to this pagan gods, this beautiful altar to the gods of the Assyrians. And so Ahaz had the dimensions and a model made of this altar that they used to sacrifice to these foreign gods. Uh, And he had a priest from Jerusalem come up, Uriah, to to take that model and to make a similar altar in Jerusalem. So when Ahaz got back to Jerusalem, he admired his new altar, and he, the king, began to make sacrifices on this altar himself. He offered burnt offerings on the altar, and grain offerings on the altar, and dashed the blood of the sacrifices on the altar, and he poured out drink offerings on the altar. In fact, he loved this new altar so much, he decided to remove the bronze altar that was in the temple, and he put it in another corner, and he placed that that altar in as the the pinnacle of the temple. Couple of problems here. Any of y'all see some of the problems we got going on with the king? Number one, he's not supposed to be making the sacrifices, the priest are number two, he's making sacrifices to foreign gods. But that wasn't the end of his renovations to the temple of God. He decided to cut off the frames of the the stands. He removed the laver, which is a large uh, basin with uh, water. He cut up the utensils used for sacrifices to the God of Israel and had them melted down and sent as tribute to Assyria. He put up little altars all around the temple. So it kind of looked like a Hindu temple, you know, with all these little altars all around. All because of the king of Assyria. Can you picture it? This foreign altar from Damascus residing in the, in the center of the Jerusalem temple and it's a warning to all of us that too often our politics and our worldview are shaped by power and money and not by God. We forget that the greatest gift ever given is offered to us and we, and we focus on the lesser gifts. Gifts. We too often are ruled by fear and not faith. We don't trust the God of our salvation. In the days of our distress, we turn to other things. We don't trust God. This is the state of Judah, ravaged by war, prostituting itself to any God or goddess or foreign entity that will have them. That's when it happened. God spoke. That's when it happened. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Now with that context in mind, what do you think God would say to the king? What would you say? I know what I would say. I'm done with you, Judah. King, you're you're done. The whole nation of you, even your priests are sacrificing and building Idols to other gods. You would rather trust in your ultimate enemy, the Assyrian Empire, than trust in the living God, the God who brought you out of Egypt and slavery, the God who gave you this land, the God who made covenant with you. That's what I would say. (laughs) I'm not God. What does God say? He brings a message of both judgment and hope, and they're wrapped together. He says this, God says, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, here then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? He's basically telling Ahaz, do you want a sign that I'm with you? I'll give you a sign. It can be a small sign or a big sign. It can be a sign as high as heaven or as deep as hell. You just ask it, I'll give you a sign. You want a sign? God is daring Ahaz, have just a little bit of faith. Have just a little bit of faith that I'll be with you. Just test me. Just trust me. And how does Ahaz reply? In false piety. Oh, I can't test you, oh God. That's against the law, the Torah. Like that mattered in anything else you've done. He's broken just about every other law in the Torah so far. And in fact, he gets this wrong as well, this testing thing wrong. What the law states is it's wrong to disbelieve God's promises. That is testing God. To disbelieve God's promises is testing God. What God is asking for him is to test him so he can believe, which is lawful. So Ahaz is testing the patience of God at this point, in case you're wondering. His patience is being tested. So God tells Ahaz, he's gonna give him a sign anyway. Even though you're not gonna ask, here's your sign. (laughs) Here it is, you ready? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat cards and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. It's an interesting sign, isn't it? It's kind of confusing, I think, too. What does it mean? On the surface, here's what it means. The sign is saying, king, listen up. Before a child born today is 12 years old, that's the age right before the age of accountability in Israel, before the child knows how to choose right and wrong, that's, they, they say at age 13, when they, when they do the uh, bar mitzvah, that's when they become an adult. Before that child, as of age, where he can do things on his own, the two kings who are attacking you will be gone. He's saying, within 12 years, these two kings that are attacking you and their nations are gone. And in fact, about 12 years later, Aram and Israel are completely destroyed. In fact, Israel is no more. The 10 tribes, they are no more. We we don't know where they ended up. They are mingle with all the other nations. They are lost to time within 12 years. But there's more to the sign than meets the eye if we dive a little deeper. It's an interesting sign. It says, "Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel." For both Ahaz and Judah and for us today, there is one single meaning for this prophecy. Here it is. The key to the prophecy and to key to our hope. Are you ready? Look up here. Here's the key. Emmanuel. God is with us. God is with us. That's That's what God was trying to tell Ahaz. I'm with you. Will you trust me? Or will you trust everyone else around you? That's what this prophecy is saying. I will be with you if you will only trust me. There's no greater gift that we can receive. This is the promise. God is with us and we don't have to fear what other humans can do to us. When the world is falling apart, God is with us. When we have lost our way, God is with us. When the doubts and struggles come, God is even with us then. With the single meaning of the prophecy, however, there is a double significance. And we've talked about how prophecy speaks to the people of that time and that moment. That how prophecy also speaks to the future. And that prophecy even speaks to the end time. And so we have this collapsing of history in this one prophecy, and it's a beautiful prophecy. There's double meaning. For Judah and Ahaz, God was telling them right then, in your days of distress, trust me, I will be with you. Don't put your trust in Assyria. Don't make covenant with them. Make covenant with God. God will be with you. But there's another significance to that prophecy for us that goes beyond the nation of Judah and King Ahaz and Isaiah and Israel. And this second significance changes everything. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. This is the message of Christmas. God is coming to earth to be born a child. Now, He could have just said, a child will be born within 12 years by the time he's 12. But he uses a word, sometimes translated virgin, sometimes young girl. They both mean the same thing. The presence of God. That God is coming. The presence of God with us isn't just a metaphor. It is reality. God will take on flesh and will take on our sin. He is Emmanuel. God with us. So from the prophet Isaiah we hear the Christmas story. Another follower of God some 735 years later would finally see the fulfillment of that prophecy and would write about it. In Matthew 1. She will bear a son. You're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin will, shall conceive and bear a son and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. There's no greater gift. This is what we are preparing our hearts for. Emmanuel, God with us. Let us pray.